politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property. And yes, folks, it is literally our lives on the line today, which is why we are here to guide you through what matters in the way it matters, when it matters. Uh, Daniel Horowitz back here Thursday, May 19th at Blaze Media. And there's a lot of monkeying around here. We're talking about monkeypox. Interesting. We all knew there would be another virus or several other viruses. And when you look at the world today, you should never get focused with tunnel vision on any one thing in a vacuum. You put it all together. There are too many earth-shattering, catalyzing events taking place in our lives. You know, I was one who said for years, the last 20 years or so with cable and mass media and then the internet that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun and a lot of things happen. And obviously the media has a way of accentuating things that have always happened in a way that you think the world's falling apart, but it's really nothing new. But that's no longer the case. We have never had the amalgamation of so many events where it all ties back into healthcare, food, formula. They're slaughtering chickens now, talking about the avian flu. Notice they never wanted us to have meat and chicken, the biggest source of protein. You take out everything that allows people to live. The amalgamation of these events and then it all ties back into Ukraine, their obsession with that, and it happens to be it's related to Hunter Biden, and it happens to be it's related to the gain-of-function biolabs, which happen to have included, by the way, avian flu, and things similar to monkeypox. So we have these two things going on now. Avian flu, they're slaughtering millions of chickens. And with each thing, we don't know what their play is. Is it bull? Nonsense. Like I said, you know, they're just, you know, we always had cases of this. We've had cases of monkeypox and whatever before. And they're just trying to panic people to control people. They're definitely trying to control people. Or is it real that they induce this either with shedding vaccines that they're all over the place and they have ready now, but they've been using all over Africa. And maybe they had some sort of gain of function to juice it up. And maybe it is a problem. Who knows? But either way, we can't be behind the curve this time. This time, we have to be ahead of the curve that is trying to flatten our lives. And that means, number one, right away, we need to start asking, who did it? Who did it? Who do we hold accountable? And if it really is a problem, how do we treat it? But this just underscores why we cannot go through these election cycles And not just during the elections, but legislative sessions, whether it's county, state, federal, as if this is yesteryear. As if it's like, okay, what's your position on guns? What's your position on taxes, on abortion? If you have a candidate that is not speaking to this, that we have an oligarchy in charge of this country, mixed with corporate and government, it's one thing, and it's global in nature, and that they are unleashing biochemical warfare on us 
beyond anything we could have imagined post 9-11 with Osama bin Laden. They are a greater threat to us than bin Laden. You know, I'm sure some of you thought about it post 9-11. What would happen if, you know, Al-Qaeda took over America? And really, there was never a threat of them taking over America. That's not what they do. The threat was the fact that we allowed in, you know, millions of immigrants from the Middle East and then the Muslim Brotherhood to subvert us from within. They were never going to take over in that sense. But even if they did, what is the worst they would have done to us? Would it have been this bad? Food, fuel, healthcare, unleash bioterrorism, block the treatment for it. It's not by accident. What is going on with the inflation? Well, let me say this. The inflation is a logical outcome of the COVID fascism, and that was a part of it, and then the endless spending. I'm saying you don't need to, there's no person behind the scenes pulling strings on the monetary policy creating inflation other than what we see out in the open with what the feds did, the Federal Reserve as well as Congress, spending trillions of dollars. But in terms of these specific supply shortages, the slaughtering of all the chickens, the fires in all the food plants, there's something going on there. And at some point, we got to get to the bottom of it. Last week, the Epic Times had a, had a show on. They had a, you know, a conversation with thought leaders. I actually did that segment one time. They interviewed me. Uh, so they interviewed this guy from Cambodia, Nal Um, O-U-M. He was a survivor of the killing fields. And I found it fascinating how he explained how communism destroyed the country. He said they destroy you first and they disguise themselves as the rescuer. The same guy could be the arsonist and the firefighter. So they create the problem and then guess what? They have the solution. So when you're watching these new pandemics and the food and the fuel and Ukraine, just know it's all man-made. He talked about how they infiltrate, they divide, they destroy you within, they destroy the cell of the nation. I'm just paraphrasing here. And that's the family first. So that explains, meaning if if you were taking out a city, what do you do? You knock out the weapons, the power, the water source, you poison the water source. When you lay siege to a city, traditionally that's what they did. So they take out everything that's important, the food, the fuel, medicine, and then induce cultural Marxism at the same time to rot out the family. So you're nothing but a barcode. You're nothing but a transhuman being that they can control in the most literal sense. So these guys are not done yet. But let's unpack a little bit what's going on here. So Bill Gates urges preparation for a smallpox attack. Then we have a smallpox, monkeypox vaccine created, as well as a smallpox therapeutic produced, already done. Then suddenly they say there's monkeypox detected all over the world, Africa, Portugal, UK, and now they say they have a case in Massachusetts. And then the G7 ministers are gathering for the secret virus exercise on monkeypox, smallpox. What the hell is going on? 
Now, we don't know what's going on, but whatever it is, it ain't good. So for today, I want to review a little bit what we know did happen with the lead-up to COVID. And it's the same pattern. They warn about it. They seem to know about it. They have a vaccine already ready and a solution for how to deal with it. And, you know, a lot of people naively think, oh, come on, they can't play it again. They can't do it again. Really? How? Why? What's stopping it? People went along with it so quickly. Okay? Let's face it. At the peak of it, even in the reddest parts of the country, most people went along with it. So we have not immunized ourselves from this. But again, what I'm telling you is it's not just like global warming where it's like tyranny and they're fighting to, to control us based on a lie. This stuff might not be a lie. COVID was not a lie. I mean, their, their construction of it was, but they created it. They set the fire and they parachuted in as the firefighter. So let's review. Let's review. And by the way, first, our sponsor today, forgot to mention, Patriot Academy. Really looking forward to seeing you guys that are coming out Sunday through Thursday. I'll be out uh, in New Mexico for our defensive handgun training. But just know that Patriot Academy has many other programs. One of them is the Constitution Coach Program. It's an online course where you could gather a bunch of people in your living room and learn the material from Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, as well as historian David Barton and others. This is the way to create local cells, to educate yourselves on what's right, and then commit to action. Create these strike force teams, how to focus on local elections, local you know, infrastructure that matters, local planning, and local issues, really national issues, just fought in a local way. This is where it's at. Go to patriotacademy.com to sign up for their Constitution Coach program like 100,000 others did last year. And again, we will be having another handgun defense training course for those of you who couldn't make it for next week, uh, you know, within the next couple months. So again, watch out for that at patriotacademy.com. So anyway, let, and again, I'm just mentioning a few bullet points here. Okay, really, there are, you know, hundreds of bullet points but i'm going to mention some of the most important ones january 2010 bill gates predicted that we'd be ushering in the decade of vaccines and by the way i just say people like gates and schwab they're kind of like the islamists in the sense that if i don't know if you remember in the fog of war they would often say, oh, they shot down an American plane, or Hezbollah would say they killed an Israeli or something. And people are like, oh, they're lying. They actually usually told the truth. It's pretty interesting. When they would say something, it actually was true. And I find that true of Gates and Schwab. They actually will tell you what they're doing. We were just stupid enough not to believe them. But we can't make that mistake again. In 2012, the NIH partnered with Moderna, an obscure startup company, and they created the mRNA vaccines. And they're still fighting over those patent rights to this day. Okay, that was 10 years ago. September 9th, 2013, Ralph Barrick, the doctor behind the gain-of-function research at UNC Chapel Hill, 
He announces in cooperation with the Wuhan lab, right? He has a press release at the time, a 10 million grant from Fauci's NIAID to, quote, study the pathogenic activity of viruses, including severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS, MERS, Ebola, highly pathogenic influenza, um, herpes virus, HHV-8, and, and it will help identify novel targets for therapeutic intervention and improve strategies for vaccine design. And remember, Barrick is the one who came up with remdesivir as well. November 2015, Barrick and company published their discovery in Nature magazine on cracking the code of transferring coronavirus from bats into mice with human lung tissue that is now pathogenic and create an epidemic. Okay, and, and as we well know, um, last year the NIH admitted that Barrick indeed violated in their mind the parameters of gain of function and it was and he had an unexpected result from it so that's the creation of it it was in 2015 february 2016th peter dasick the founder of ecohealth who is the puppet master of ralph barrick and the investor in this he gave a speech and it's on c-span and i'm just going to read to you the transcript so as an example first of all we are only looking at viral families that include those that have gone into people from animals so we narrow it down straight away. Then, we, then you get a sequence of a virus, and it looks like a relative of a known nasty pathogen, just like we did with SARS. We found other coronaviruses in bats, a whole host of them. Some of them look very similar to SARS. So we sequence the spike protein, the protein that attaches to the cells. Then we, um, it, he, so he said, then we, and then he said, well, I didn't do this work. <laughs> so he slipped out, but my colleagues in China did the work. Uh, you create the pseudoparticles, you insert the spike proteins from those viruses to see if they bind to human cells. <clears throat> and each step you move closer and closer to this virus could really become pathogenic in people. So you narrow down the field, you reduce the cost, and you end up with a small number of viruses that really do look like killers. <clears throat> so this is what he talked about in his development. Okay? This was February 2016. And that was around the same time Joe Biden's Metabiota was working on the same stuff in Ukraine. So this blatantly created it. The virus was created years ago, and the vaccine was created years ago. By the way, about a year later, January 10, 2017, 10 days before Trump took office, Fauci delivered a speech at Georgetown University Conference on pa Pandemic Preparedness and he warned that there will definitely be another pandemic. He ended his speech warning, quote, there's a direct quote, the administration that is going to come in in the next few days is going to have to deal with a pandemic. What is for sure that no matter what history has told us definitively that it will happen, the thing we are extraordinarily confident, extraordinarily confident about is that we will see this in the next few years. January 10th, 2019. I'm sorry, uh, 2017. Within the next few years. And indeed, it was three years later, two and a half years later. <clears throat> um, now, you, you go on, and another interesting thing, when coronavirus um, came out, I can't remember. This was either 
January or February, probably February 2020, Lisa Monaco, okay? She was Obama's Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor. No, it was in March. March 2020, she published a piece in Foreign Affairs that on January 13th, 2017, again, a week before Trump took office, three days after Fauci predicted with certitude this was going to happen, Obama national security officials held a pandemic war game exercise with transition team members from the incoming you know, Trump admin. And she described the scenario of their war game as follows. A new virus was spreading with alarming speed, causing global transportation stoppages, supply chain disruptions, and plunging stock prices with a vaccine many months away. U.S. healthcare infrastructure was severely strained. Again, what did they know that we didn't know? And then on that same day, Peter Bregan revealed this in his book, but you can look it up. It's right there in the Federal Register. That same day, January 17th, uh, 13th, 2017. Same day that they held the war games. Three days after Fauci said, next administration absolutely will have an unusual pandemic. They placed a new regulation in the Federal Register that, quote, enhances FDA's authority to basically, you know, quicken the time to market for therapeutics for a pandemic influenza. The regulation, quote, permits FDA to waive authorize waive otherwise applicable current good manufacturing practice requirements such as storage and handling you remember that with the vaccine to accommodate emergency response needs and allows the cdc to create and issue emergency use instructions concerning the fda approved conditions of use for eligible products what were these medical products they refer to as medical countermeasures including drugs antivirals and antidotes, biological products, vaccines, blood products, and biological therapeutics, and devices. <laughs> I mean, it, it's right there. It's right there. So when Bill Gates warns last November that there's smallpox coming, and then we have this monkeypox outbreak, and then, you know they go ahead and have this G7 meeting now on it. Oh, and by the way, they just so happen to have a monkeypox vaccine. This is from precisionvaccinations.com. Okay, it's like vaccine news, right? Vaccine Central. These are a bunch of shills for vaccines, but they have good news there. This is from yesterday. 13 million freeze-dried monkeypox, smallpox vaccines ordered. Denmark-based Bavarian Nordic AS announced today that BARDA, exercise, right, that's the U.S. Biomedical, whatever, Advanced Research and Developmental Development Authority, they exercised the first options under an existing contract to supply a freeze-dried version of the Gynos smallpox vaccine, the first doses of the vaccine version will be manufactured and invoiced in 2023-2024. Um, and they go through that there. Very interesting. Where is this coming from? Where is this headed? 
And by the way, there's um, if you look at September 24th, 2019, so that's right around when COVID was spreading in Wuhan, FDA approves first live non-replicating vaccine to prevent smallpox and monkeypox. Look, look it up. It's a press release. I didn't know it at the time. Then, and I spoke about this last year, late last year, um, in, in November, I had an article on this. Interestingly enough, this was last year, on June 4th, the CDC randomly approved a new smallpox, smallpox drug, Tembexa. And at the time, if you remember, I did a show on this in November, I asked, wait a minute, how in the world could a company go ahead and produce a smallpox drug for an extinct virus? Right, that has never happened. Moreover, if it's extinct, how do you test it? It's dangerous. You can't do it in humans. How do you know it's safe? And, and I noted at the time, it actually is a failed, dangerous drug, and it was approved, but with a black box warning. Basically, it kills you beyond a certain amount of doses. They were going to use it for adenovirus, another thing you're hearing a lot of recently, the adenovirus vector vaccines that might have possibly caused this adenovirus-linked outbreak of hepatitis in children. So it turns out, it has a black box warning. They failed three times to get it approved for adenovirus. And then they're like, oh, we don't need to use human trials for smallpox. We could rely on animal trials. Why? Because we already used this drug in humans. But they used it in humans for adenovirus, and it failed and killed people. <laughs> I mean, it is unreal what is going on here. There is something funny with the smallpox family. Meaning a lot of people are just saying, oh, it's fear porn. We've had cases of monkeypox. And that could be. It could be it's just that. Or it could be that they've been seeding this around the world and vaccinating and the vaccine shedded it. Could be. I'm not saying we know that. But that would follow the pattern of the arsonist being the firefighter. And then you'd say, well, you know, it's just a bunch of gay guys having, you know, re relations with each other, and that's how it's spreading it. But who knows? They could have juiced it up in a way that it could go airborne. We don't know that. So that's what's going on with the monkeypox, and I just wanted to give you guys the background that it would be following the same theme that we're seeing with smallpox. Then there's the other thing happening which is the avian flu. So they're talking about this bird flu, the H5N1, all over the world now. This is from March 30th. Robert Redfield, he was Trump's stupid uh, CDC director. This is a direct quote. I believe the great pandemic still in the future, and that's going to be a bird flu pandemic for man. It's going to have significant mortality in the 10 to 50% range, it's going to be trouble. So now we have a bunch of bird flus. They're, they're slaughtering a bunch of chickens. And again, we're left to wonder, which malfeasance are they doing? Is it fake and they just want to 
raise the cost of chicken to screw with our food supply, which they want to do? Or is it also a problem? Because again, bird flu typically is, is one of these zoonotic flus that doesn't affect humans. I mean, I think there's like a handful of cases in, in, in world history that did, but, but 99.999% of the time it doesn't. So he's saying like, hey, this is going to happen. So last month they started having this with chicken and turkey flocks, slaughtering them all over the place which is contributing to the rise in costs. But, you know, what do they know? I mean, we've had this forever. It was never a human threat. So Dr. Mercola has an article out on this. Bird flu has already been weaponized. And I'm quoting from his article here. By the looks of it, the only way human bird flu would appear would be if it was created. And wouldn't you know it, Dr. Fauci Director of NIAID has funded gain-of-function research with intention of making H5N1 transmissible to humans, as has Bill Gates. And and we noted this at the time. He 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 mentions the fact that some of this research research has been undertaken by the Pentagon-funded biolabs in Ukraine. Avian flu was one of the things they were looking at, and they literally describe again how to jump from zoonotic to human. That's what. Metabiota described the Ukrainian labs, and EcoHealth was involved in that, and that's what P- Peter Daszak of EcoHealth described seven years ago in 2015, 2016, what they did with SARS in Wuhan, which clearly became what has infected us. So, dude, I want to take this seriously. They've already ex- uh, experimented by mixing bird flus with the Spanish flu virus. They've mixed H5N1 with, with uh, the swine flu, H1N1. This has been done all over the place. It has already been tinkered with. There's no question they've been doing this. Could I trace for you exactly how they do it? Is it like seeding it throughout the world uncontrolled? Or do they have it in a lab and at some point they decide to release it? Again, but the fact of the matter is we are two and a half years into SARS-CoV-2 and we know 100% it was created. We know 100% there was foresight of it. We basically know roughly who directly funded and created it. But who else was involved in the vaccination at the time? We know that the vaccine was already there, just like we're now seeing with monkeypox and, and, and the bird flu. And yet, where is the Republican effort to even talk, talk about it? Oh, we're, we're done. No, we're not done. We can't be done. This is life and death. And I don't need to hear about, oh, in January when they take back Congress, they'll investigate. We can't wait till then. There's nothing stopping them. I know they won't have the same type of power, but they could put an ad hoc... Kevin McCarthy could just make an ad hoc committee like Ron John does, but rather than having him marginalized, do this with everyone. Do this with everyone. And put these guys all together and come out with a report. All the governors should fund it have one representative from each state together with Congress. This is what you would, you would have done this ages ago. 
wait a minute. What did they know and when did they know it? Who did it? Because that's going to shed a lot of light on what else they have in the pipeline and what other bioweapon toys they're, they're playing with. Now, Mercola also talks about it could be a controlled demolition of the protein supply, too. We don't know. Um, Gates has his hands in that as well. And then on the other hand, there have been a number of bird, bird flu hoaxes. So what I'm telling you is we don't know. You can never tell. Is it the global warming paradigm or is it the COVID paradigm? Meaning, is it the global warming paradigm that they use something fake to control you and have a controlled demolition of, you know, our, our economy, our, our, you know, inflation, our, our vital goods and services? Or is it real? They're trying to control it, but also kill us too. So this is something we definitely need to keep an eye on. We already know there's hemorrhagic fevers they're looking at. But the bird flu and monkeypox, what the heck is going on? Because I'm just telling you, the timeline and the players involved and the motivation behind it and the structure, boy, it sounds awfully similar to what they did with COVID. Remember, I mean, this is not... These guys talked about that. You know, there's this guy... People were passing around this quote... There's a 1992 book by John Coleman, Conspirators Hierarchy, the story of the Committee of 300. And he talks about a secret elite of leaders that control the world. And at the time, I would have never believed it. But now, clearly, someone is doing all of this. And he writes, at least 4 billion useless eaters, he calls them useless eaters, shall be eliminated by the year 2050 by means of limited wars Organized epidemics of fatal rapid acting diseases and starvation. Energy, food, and water shall be kept at subsistence levels for the non-elite, starting with the white populations of Western Europe and North Africa, and then spreading to other races. The population of Canada, Western Europe, and the U.S. will be decimated more rapidly than on any other continents until the world's population reaches a manageable level of 1 billion of which 500 million will consist of the Chinese and Japanese races selected because they are people who have been regimented for centuries and who are accustomed to obeying authority without question. Again, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have laughed that off as just some lunatic. But these lunatics have power, and these lunatics induced COVID and COVID fascism. Everything we're suffering from today was planned by these people and successfully executed. That is a fact. We're still filling in the specific gaps, but in general, in, in general terms, we could say that with certitude. So what's next? I don't know. I don't know, but we need to get ahead of this. Information warfare. Again, we need governors to get ahead of this and commit we're never doing any of this. If there's something that happens, our focus is twofold. Holding accountable who did it, and getting the treatment for it. And that does not mean the vaccine, because I will guarantee you the era of safe and effective vaccines are over. Over. We are seeing that. We're in the era of self-spreading, shedding vaccines that shed 
the pathogen, while ravaging your body in 50 million other ways. And this is what's so sad, because these people have been doing this for years, but I think accelerating over this last decade, as, as Gates called it, the decade of vaccines, they've been seeding this Ebola vaccines, um, uh, HIV vaccines, various influenza type of vaccines, and smallpox type of vaccines. They've been doing that throughout, throughout Africa. You know, so, you know, and look, I admit myself, I was brainwashed into this. Every time this come out, I was like, oh, those dumb Africans doing their stupid primitive things and screwing around with monkeys and whatever. But who knows if that's true anymore? It could very well be. It was the Western oligarchs who, who screwed with them. And by the way, now they're the only ones who escaped COVID while everyone's having problems now. They have, you know, they have nothing. They're done with it. And they never really had much of a problem. And now they're working overtime to inject them and get the numbers up. And, and, and they are slowly creeping up in Africa. These people are worse than Osama bin Laden. They're more evil and they are more capable. And they do it with a clean conscience. They're indefatigable. They never rest. You know, Islam has at least a certain limited purview of what they're trying to do. This is endless. It is truly endless. It's no longer a conspiracy. It's out in the open. It is happening. Do you think all of these once-in-a-lifetime events destroying every aspect of life, health, economy, food, fuel is by accident. It just happened to be like, you know, some of the biggest idiots when I would talk to them, like I spoke to this one doctor, I was like, okay, so where do you think COVID came from? He was like, well, I don't know. You know, one, once in a hundred years, we have a pandemic. Oh, so now we're having multiple ones? That, that That's normal? Really? No, we know exactly where this is coming from. Now, as we go through today, the latest news on safe and effective, I, I want to go through, again, some of the, the efficacy and safety news. There's a lot of news we didn't get to this week. I won't be able to get to all of it, but we'll mention some, uh, some of the highlights. Uh, just keep in mind that when you're seeing this negative efficacy, what do you think that means? Okay, when, when we're observing these new pandemics, potentially, who's to say they didn't seed it with another safe and effective vaccine? Because you, you look around the world, and, and I've mentioned this a lot, but it's, it's so stark. There's a tremendous pattern now. It, it, basically like this, before the shots... There was a straight-up seasonal curve. It was very seasonal. It was very predictable. It almost had the same duration. It would be a Gompertz curve, very much up, and then down to baseline. Six weeks worth, and then you get a few months of grace until the next seasonal hit, and it worked geographically. That fell apart when the vaccines came out. And really, once you got through 2021, it came apart. And that's what we're seeing now. So there's no seasonality. You have it backwards, the north getting it in the summer. It's all over the place. And you're seeing the 
the waves are very quick. They're sharper. But then when they go down, they, if you go in uh, world meters or our world in data, look at New Zealand, look at Australia. So they had a huge Omicron curve. Okay, it went down. And then now it's like, like up and down, up and down, up and down. It, it's, it's the antithesis of a Gompertz curve. Okay, just an interesting thing. But broadly speaking, what we're seeing is all of the most vaccinated places are having the biggest problem. It's literally almost a perfect inverse relationship, but particularly all of the countries that skated by never had problems. Okay, some sat out the first wave, some sat out the second, but they all got it by the third or fourth wave. But then there were a few that almost never got it. And and there's no clear reason so far, but let's face it. Um, Taiwan, New Zealand, Australia, Iceland, okay? Those were countries that just really never had any death. Very little. Very little. Okay? Even during Delta... It just like it like didn't affect them. It was it was bizarre. And then now they're having almost all of their deaths post Omicron, the least pathogenic, while they're all boosted. At some point it's not despite the shot. It clearly is because of it. You look at Portugal. At 234 doses administered per 100 people, they have the highest vaccination rate in all of Europe, of any major country. In other words, I think they're at technically, if you look at uh, statistic, statistia, whatever that's called, they're number two. Malta, Malta is a tiny country, so you can't you know draw parallels from there. So obviously, it's going to be easy to vaccinate everyone. But Portugal is already you know, it's a relatively smaller country, but it's still a major country. So pre- pre- pretty much they have the highest vaccination rate in Europe. They now have the highest case rate in Europe. 94% of the population has one dose and 62% have three, which means that anyone within the realm of being vulnerable to death has three shots. Okay? Now, you might say, well, Daniel, well, maybe they didn't get that much until now, so they don't have natural immunity built up. Well, what do you mean? But this was supposed to help. Doesn't make sense. Okay? And also, they actually did have. They didn't have as much as some as, as Spain, but they, they did have a nice amount. So what, what what's the deal? Okay? So the number one case rate in Europe is Portugal. Their number two in the entire world, the number one is Taiwan. Well, Daniel, well, Taiwan barely had anything until now. Okay, that's fine. But why should they be having problems now? And it's not just case rates. If you look as well at the death rates, they are having by far their worst death curves ever. Now, I understand you would still much rather be Taiwan than America. I get that. But that's for whatever reason they had in their population beforehand. 
why should they be worse off apples to apples, much worse, exponentially worse, post everyone being vaccinated and with the least pathogenic version? And I think it's very clear what's going on, that it basically gave VADES. This really is the new pandemic. It's VADES. So what's happening now is even the countries that were previously somewhat immune to COVID for whatever reason, even the stronger variants, now even the weaker variants, their bodies can't handle. That's clearly what is going on. You look at New Zealand, you look at Australia, same deal. They're having the most deaths right now. And then you look at Iceland. Iceland right now is the leader in deaths in the world. So they're ahead of Portugal. Portugal now has the highest case rate. Iceland did before. It's on the way down. Um, but 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 not in a Gompert's way. We don't necessarily know that yet because if they follow the pattern, it, <coughs> I doubt it's going to be over with. I think you're going to see over the next few months, you're going to have the countries that were literally at the other end of the spectrum from you know Spain, Italy, U.S., and some of the Latin American countries that got crushed, and these countries barely had any death, I think you're going to find a tremendous amount of death because it's not going to be a one and done. And they're going to get COVID multiple times. But they are at 12.8 deaths per million right now in Iceland. Okay? Iceland had 39 COVID deaths all the way through January 2022. So they went two, almost two years with just 39 deaths in their country. And now they have several hundred just, you know, this month. But, you know, per capita, the, this week, it's 12.8 deaths per million. Folks, America was a dumpster fire. But if you take America's worst period, that was the winter 2020-2021, the highest I think we reached was 10 per, per uh, million. Yeah, obviously, cumulatively, I'd still rather be Iceland, but I think clearly this is just the second inning for these folks. So... You know, that that's big news that Iceland, which looked like they were impervious to it, is now racking up a higher death rate than the U.S., which did horribly in a peak. And they're doing so with the least pathogenic version of it. So there's something really funny. And then, you know, you go over to uh, Finland. Finland is a similar thing. Finland did really well. Those Nordic countries barely had problems. They, they're, they're one of the top uh, death curves now. Not as much as Iceland per capita, but, but getting there, one of the top. And, and, and again, all now, why? Australia had 2,239 COVID deaths for the entire 2020-2021. Now they have 55-55 just in the first four and a half months of this year. And then... You start looking in the U.S., and where is this? Let me get this out here. In the U.S., and you go state by state, the top vaccinated states are all the ones with the problems right now. So again, back to my observations. You could literally look at this easily on CDC's map. 
they have like a county map and the high impact zone. Uh, what's her name? Walensky just tweeted it out today. It's right there. You'll see a line in the Northeast. The Northeast is by far the most vaccinated, but also the upper Midwest, and, and they're the most problematic. And the question now, you might say, oh, well, Daniel, that's seasonality. You know, the South will have their, they have their thing. Yeah, but the problem with that is that this is this is late May. They shouldn't be getting a seasonal curve. This 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 is roughly when the South begins. What's going on with that? The top three states for vaccination coverage are also the top three for infections. Okay? That's Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. Then if you look at eight of the top ten for vaccination are in the top ten infections. So eight of the top ten. So that basically includes most of the Northeast. And then seven of the top ten for vaccination are also in the top ten for hospitalization. Okay? So Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Hawaii, New Jersey, Vermont, Delaware, New York. And Hawaii is on a totally different schedule. So what's up with that? That doesn't make any sense here, folks. Something's really creepy about that. And it's time we get to the bottom of it. But I think we did. You know what's interesting? I don't know why this wasn't bigger news, but uh, ABC's chief medical correspondent, uh, Jennifer Ashton, this was last week. She suddenly just let it out. I, I can't believe they allowed her to do this, but uh, take a listen here. Dr. Ashton here. We were trying to get a handle on, yes, uh, you got some new data on boosters. There's a new published study out in Lancet, uh, the journal Lancet Infectious Disease, about the fourth dose and what happens to our antibody levels. It is not a surprise that they've released new data confirming that after the fourth dose of Pfizer or Moderna, that antibody levels rise significantly. They surge uh, in the several weeks after that dose. We've known that for a while, but here are the caveats. We don't know how long that lasts, number one. Um, and our immune response, remember, is not just about antibodies. It's about that T-cell response also, which is, you can't really measure as well as just a pure antibody level. And it's about whether or not they're blocking or neutralizing antibodies to the variant that we're seeing. So uh, when people hear these headlines, they shouldn't be surprised. Yes, of course, you're going to get a, a surge in your antibody levels, but how long that lasts is the issue. And it's certainly not just about more boosting for everyone. People who have high antibody levels, there's the potential. I want to underscore the potential. We haven't seen any evidence of this, um, of this immune phenomenon known as tolerance, where if you mm -hmm. already have high antibody levels and you get another booster, that your immune system can start to say, well, what what am I needed for and can kind of start to oh. shut down. Oh, wow. So um, we if you're in that category of people who the FDA and CDC is recommending to get a booster 50 and over 65 and over with a with a chronic medical condition. Yes, by all means. But everyone else don't think that 
more boosting is the answer. We don't know that that's the case yet. All right. That's very important information. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Dr. Jen. Well, hey there, GMA fans. Robin Roberts here. Thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Lots of great stuff here. So go on, click the subscribe button right right over here to get more of awesome videos and content from GMA every day, anytime. We thank you for watching, and we'll see you in the morning on GMA. Did you hear that, folks? Boosters could block antibodies for the current variant overload and shut down your system. That's exactly what we're seeing. So the only challenge we have in unraveling what's going on with the excess death is how much of it is VADES and how much of it is just the sundry, you know, clot shot stuff, the clots, the strokes, the heart attacks, and, you know, all these other things. But how much of it is the VADES, which they're calling COVID deaths? But what I'm telling you is the COVID deaths are vaccine injury. Uh, Ben... What's his name? Ben of U.S. Mortality. He has a website, U.S. Mortality. Uh, He has a Twitter handle, U.S. Mortality. Um, He's really been doing a terrific job on this. He put out yesterday, U.S. age-adjusted all-cause mortality. Okay? 2020, all-cause age-adjusted mortality was up 7.7%. Okay? 2021, it was 15.8%. And then the first 18 weeks, it's already at 17.7%. The more you pop, the more you know you can't stop with the Pringles commercial. The more you vax, the more you die. Something is not right here. And I think we already know exactly what it is. So... That's with this uh, so-called efficacy business. I think we see here. And to me, that's the shedding. So it doesn't surprise me that you're going to have a bunch of other outbreaks now because they're probably vaccinating with the same crappy technology doing all this stuff. Um, This guy, D.V. Williamson, he has a substack called Free Range Economist. He did an analysis of 179 countries. And he found a pretty high um, R-squared correlation. A 1% increase in vaccination would induce an average of 0.7% increase in cases. Very statistically significant uh, coefficient estimate. A 1% increase in the stringency of the NPI regime, non-pharmaceutical intervention regime, would yield on average a 2% increase in cases. The estimate is also statistically significant. The estimated equation yielded an R-squared in the excess of 40%. This was true from day one. Any country-by-country analysis shows an inverse relationship that's statistically significant. Again, it doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have the vaccine can't be affected by COVID and shouldn't get treatment. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're not being shedded upon too. But there is an inverse relationship between vax rates and uh, case rates and now even death rates. So something's really, really funny here.
Now, we don't have much time left here, and I'm just kind of like, you know, going to jump around in a couple of things here. On the vaccine thing, just a couple of injury things. There is um, there's a disease, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I can. HLH is what it's called. Basically, it gets your macrophages to eat up your red blood cells. And, it, it, you know, one of these things where you just attack your own immune system. There is a case study on this um, of hemophagocytic lympho whatever histiocytosis following BNT162BT and mRNA COVID-19 vaccination. Um, there's a case study showing that this is occurring. I, I texted Dr. Cole about this, and he said he personal, personally has seen six cases of it. Eats up your own immune system. Your macrophages turn you know, malignant, and they, they start uh, attacking your red blood cells and eating them up. Real nice, real nice. Boy, they thought of everything here. Then uh, my buddy Gato Malo, terrific substack as always, so he has more information on vaccine injury and quantifying it. Okay? So where is this from? He took a look at FIMEA, F-I-M-E-A. It's Finland's equivalent to theirs. Okay, and no, no one else I know have bothered to look at it. And he looked at their numbers. And he found, so as a baseline, you take a 2,000 as a ballpark number of mRNA. This means that one in 2,000 people who got the jab had a fatal or life-threatening reaction. One in 2,000. Fatal or life-threatening. Needed his hospitalization. That's what he worked out with the math. One in 2,000. Okay, that, that would be, that alone would be insane to even have a product on the market, much less push it, much less mandate it. But then he notes that's per dose. Most people get two, three, and now four. So for double vote, meaning that's per dose. So for the average person who gets two, that's going to be one in a thousand will experience that. And he actually works it out, um, AstraZeneca, because they break it down by each one. For AstraZeneca, it would be one in 300. You know, at least that data seems to show AstraZeneca is even more dangerous. One in 300. But, you know, one in 1,000 for, um, <clears throat> for the mRNA, if you get three, that would be one in... Um, one in 500. But then th there's the fact that we know there's the underreporting factor. There's the underreporting factor. So he does the math with that. And he says if it's underreported, if we apply to Finland, what we're seeing in Germany and the US there is the estimates of, a, I think he's roughly going with a, uh, underreporting factor of 40. So that would be 1 in 71 for double vaxxed and 1 in 48 for triple vaxxed would have a life threatening adverse event based on Finland. Okay? 
And for triple vax, that would already get to about that 148. That's, a, that's about 2%. Now, I know I've said until now, some of the numbers were coalescing around 0.8%. But I think what he's saying is if you would add up the likelihood of that individual getting a life-altering event, a life-threatening event, after three shots, that might be true. It might be up to 2% already. That That is a genocide that is just simply mind-blowing. But where are the Republicans? Name me the Republicans. Yesterday, Latipo, you know, uh, DeSantis' is Sur- Surgeon General, he lashed out the FDA for approving boosters for 5 to 11-year-old. Name me another state. Name me a, a, a member of the Senate, Congress. No, what's, what's Mitch McConnell doing? Um, he said today, so today they're, gonna, uh, they're about, to, about to vote on the Ukraine bill, the $40 billion. He called it a big bipartisan landslide. <laughs> that he, He's right. We have one big oligarch bipartisan landslide on all the issues that matter, and they fight on the issues that don't. He said the funding is needed as an investment in global sovereignty, stability, and deterrence, including to prepare for future threats from China. Global sovereignty. Yeah, we don't have our own sovereignty issues, our own stability issues. No, our border doesn't exist. Just announced this week, 235,000 incursions in one, or caught incursions apprehended in one month. No problem. Ukraine is the biggest policy issue of our time, he said. Big bipartisan landslide. But you tell me, keep just vote Republican with no nuance, with no new strategy, with, like, you know, again, it's not... Don't vote at all. But, you know, yesterday I laid out a vision electorally of several things we could do. Rather than having a third party, immediately we could have um, a pre-party. As Fred, one of our listeners, emails me, uh, he called my idea a pre-party. Where, yeah, you use the Republican Party for ballot access, but you have a group of people that literally are, you know, kind of like Kathy Barnett running against Mitch McConnell. You get them together, and if you can't win, you try your best to run appropriate candidates in a general election as an independent. And no, I would not vote for Wizard of Oz, the Pasha, the Grand Mufti of Turkey, if he does get the nomination. So that's what McConnell's worried about. Um... By the way, interestingly enough, someone just sent me a clip, a, a legislator in South Dakota of Christy Nome. Someone directly challenged her at a forum, like a town hall type of thing, about her attack on conservatives. And she's like, I don't even know what conservative means anymore. And she starts berating the person. It's interesting. She's getting a lot of pressure. I'm not going to take full credit because it started with local media. I made it go national. But I'm, I'm not trying to brag here. I'm just trying to say, imagine if all the big big shots that have much bigger audiences and influence than I do would focus on these small red state governors and bang away at them, you would either convert them or you would create an easy market for a primary by sowing disquiet with Republican voters. Instead, they'll always focus on, oh, the Pasha or the stupid Senate race here, the wrong race at the wrong time, the wrong candidate. A broken clock is right twice, but the conservative movement is never right. Because it's a controlled opposition, so it's obviously by design. One interesting thing before we go, I do want you guys to know, and I'm looking into, I do hear from my sources that a bunch of special force units in the National Guard, believe it or not, National Guard has a lot of SF units embedded in them. A lot of SF 
have been deployed and they're or or they are they have been given orders for mass deployment where they're going and for why what purpose i don't know now definitely one of the places is europe and definitely one of the places is somalia and that's a whole nother thing but republicans have no problem with that no oversight no press releases no um you know doing media appearances questioning what biden hopes to accomplish there and get our soldiers involved in another black hawk down no they have no problem no problem whatsoever that is the republican party for you so we laid out the graveness of what we're facing juxtaposed to the impotence or really malfeasance of the republican party where does that leave us and and that's what we need to continue pushing so you know again we have the alabama governor's race coming uh uh what is this tuesday um one poll earlier last week had the governor down at 40 well below the threshold another one came out today had her at 47 so you know this is this is close we got to push her into a runoff so if you know anyone in alabama um i have not endorsed a candidate um I had the guy that has been in second place in most polls, Tim James, on. Uh, so, you know, you heard from him. I've not endorsed. There are a bunch of other candidates. But whatever it is, anyone you know in Alabama, get them to vote for anyone but Kay Ivey. Um, that is the key at this point. We'll sort it out in the runoff, hopefully, if we get there. Um, I do hope to have Doug Mastriano on at some point. Um, we got to go all in. A lot of potential there to get the most conservative governor ever in, in a state like Pennsylvania, very critical state, rather than saying, ow, he can't win, which is nonsense. Um, Republicans are outpacing Democrats uh, for votes cast in the primary, even though uh, there's a huge registration gap because a ton of Trump voting, um, you know, socially conservative uh, voters in Western Pennsylvania are still registered Democrat, and it's a closed primary. So there's more from where that comes from that aren't going to vote for Shapiro, the Democrat nominee is, is governor. So this notion that somehow, you know, Doug can't win, now it's going to be a fight because the party is trashing him, and it doesn't help when, you know, you tell, you have all these stories, oh, he's a loser, so then people don't want to vote for a loser. That's kind of how it is. But um, God bless him, he has a heart of gold, and we're going to have him on. You know, it's amazing, everyone's focusing, Daniel, who, who do you think, McCormick or, or, or Pasha? Like, dude, that really matters? And, and for Senate? Are you kidding me? Why aren't you focusing on Doug Mastriano? So we're going to focus on the candidates that matter and the states that matter and the way they matter, just like we do on the issues. We're going to focus on more strategies. This is your one-stop shop for not just news and information, but values, strategy. We're right. They're wrong. That's the end of it. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.